0: Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. So I I can remember when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, and and I remember thinking, and in the second semester, spring semester, I'm thinking, wow, college is coming and I was going away to college. I was going to Niagara Falls for school and and that was just a, a massive transition in my life. It's a massive transition in anyone's life to where if you've lived home your whole life and you're about to move out and be on your own. And I remember that the the magnitude of that and then, you know, I, did it, went to college, had a great time, and four years go by, four and a half years go by, um, five years go by, and and it's time to graduate. And I remember at that point thinking, man, this, this run is over, this, this, this kind of easy life of, of college and kind of doing what I wanted to do and and now I got I to gotta, I gotta work. This is another transition. And so I got a job, my first real job, and that was big. And, and uh, I remember at one point um, thinking, okay, I, got, I need an apartment now. I got to move out of mom and dad's house. This is another transition coming. I'm, I need an apartment. I need to, to live on my own, pay my own bills. And uh, so sooner or later, I get an apartment. Then it... The age of 27, I got married. It was huge. We bought our first house. 29, I'm a dad. First baby. 31, I'm a dad again. 34, I'm a dad again. 36, I'm a dad again. Uh, And um, you know, then we bought a, a bigger house. We moved out of the city into the suburbs. And then the whole time, I'm climbing the ladder at work, moving from one job to the next job to the next job. There was always something there. There was always something in my future, a goal. And it was always like, hey, I get to this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find contentment. And Right around 37, I had a wall. And I remember thinking, because I got to this point in my job where I said, I'm, I am done climbing the ladder. I do not want this life for myself. Yes, I can make a, a lot of money doing what I'm doing, but I want to be with my family. I want to be home. So I'm not climbing that anymore. We're not going to buy another house. We're in the house. We're, we're fine. We're done having kids. What is there now? And, and I... From 37, 38, 39, maybe they call this a midlife crisis, but I remember thinking, what in the world am I doing? Is this my life? Is this it? What is the next thing? What is the next goal? It was a massively discontent season in my life. Massively discontent. Wrestling through like what just thinking like, oh, I don't like this and I don't like that and just a lot of grumbling and a lot of thinking like, what, what, what am I doing? And today we're gonna look at the Apostle Paul who, who talks about learning the secret of contentment. Learning the secret of contentment. So let's start with the passage that Evan read. Let's read it again. The Apostle Paul says, I rejoiced, there's our word again in Philippians so many times, just rejoicing, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So Paul here is talking about they have given him money. The Philippian church has given him money through Epaphroditus. So he's rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. You've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So just think about the grace here that Paul is giving them. He's excited that they gave him money, they financially supported him. And he's also saying, hey, don't, don't worry, you haven't had an opportunity to do this, thank you. You now have the opportunity, thank you. And he goes on to say, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So as we look at contentment today, the first bullet point that I I want you to consider, contentment is not the natural state of your heart and my heart. It's not the natural state. In fact, the natural state of your heart and my heart is complaining, grumbling. That comes easy. That comes natural. That spills over. Contentment, Paul is saying he learned it, and it's a mystery. It's a secret. There's something to it. And the last verse, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is a Christian contentment. This is not a worldly contentment. This is a spiritual contentment that he's talking about. Contentment does not come natural to us. Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher in the 1800s, and he says it like this, covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. You have no need to sow thistles and brambles, they come up naturally enough because they're indigenous to the earth. So you have no need to teach men to complain, They complain fast enough without any education, but the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and the gardener's care. Now, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. If we would have it, it must be cultivated. So that's, that's the first point. When we look at this and we look at contentment, it is something that we need to cultivate. We need to be aware of, we need to be thinking through. The second point that, that Paul makes, and it's within the same scripture, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So think about for a moment, where is Paul when he's writing this letter? Prison. So he's in prison. He's not in the best circumstances. And he's saying, hey, thank you for the gift. But just so you know, it's not all about the gift. I know how to be content with or without. Contentment does not come from circumstance. I remember when our kids were in high chairs and the high chair would always be around the the table when we were eating dinner. And I, I can remember just about every one of them throwing a tantrum at the dinner table in, in, the, in the high chair and some of you are, are there right now and, and it's cute and, and it's adorable. But I also remember like when you, you took the spoon with the food and put it to their, to their mouth and they would eat and they would just stop crying and it would be like, mm. and they would just make all these noises and they were just so happy and so like, oh, I'm eating. And then after you fed them, they were just smiling and, and, and happy. That is a picture, even though that child needs to eat, that is a picture of, of discontent based on circumstance. External things will come and go. Godly contentment comes from Christ and comes from within. If you think about it, if our contentment is based on external circumstances, if it's based on something we need, and, and so take it from the, the child to now an adult. If maybe when people don't approve of you or don't affirm you, that, that, that jostles you in a way, well, now your, your contentment is contingent on other people treating you well. If you need, if it's contingent on being comfortable with enough money, well, there's gonna be seasons of your life where you don't have. You don't have money or enough to, to get what you want. So often, I think we misdiagnose, we have this feeling in our heart, and it's a discontent feeling, and we misdiagnose it and we think, okay, who's closest to me? Oh, my spouse, it's her. Or my kid, my kid's acting up, it's gotta, be, it's gotta be him, gotta be her. Or it's your husband, right? It's so easy when we're feeling discontent to just point to what's around us and say, that's the problem. Or it's something that you need or you want. Right? If I get this, if I just get this job, things are going to be fine. If I just get a boyfriend, a girlfriend, I'll be happy then. But for everyone in here who's lived you know there's that thing that you want, that you say, if I get this, I'm gonna be happy, and you get it, and it wears off. It wears off. It might last for a season, it might last for a day, a week, a month, a year, but sooner or later, you're back and you've gotta deal with your heart. You've gotta deal with your discontentment. Jesus says it like this. He says, don't work for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So when we look at our contentment and look at, well, it's an outside circumstance that needs to change for me to be happy, for me to be content, we are working for food that spoils. Because that food, whatever it is that you think you need, is going to spoil. There's something deeper, there's something deeper within your heart that needs to be addressed. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's like, this is, guys, this, I've learned this. This is a secret. This doesn't come easy. This isn't just believe in Jesus and and you're gonna automatically be content. There's some truth to that. When you come to the Lord, you're gonna, things are gonna change and your heart's gonna be just welling up in 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 a beauty that you've never seen before. But sooner or later, Sooner or later, that's going to wear. It's going to wear off, and you're going to have to fight for contentment. You're going to have to battle for contentment. So I would ask you, and I ask this to myself: Where in your life are you thinking, if I just changed this, things would be better, or got this? Where in your life? The third thing when it comes to contentment is that we need to know our hearts. I know that can sound like a pithy little statement that belongs on a Hallmark card, but that's a biblical statement. Know your heart. The prophet Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? See, if you don't quite know that and can't grasp that, you're going to end up chasing every whim and wisp that your heart whispers to you. And that's not always good. We need to know our hearts. We need to know that, hey, I have things that rise up from within me, desires or grumbling or, th- or complaining or whatever that's not good. And we need to, to, to understand, well, I have a proclivity to go here or maybe here. And then we all have different proclivities and different bends in our heart. The people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, they were in bondage in, in Egypt. They were in slavery and, and, and as you know, God led them out and he part, they were up against the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and leads them through and then the sea closes up on the Egyptians as the Egyptians were, were following them. Cannot imagine what, what that must have looked like. The miracle of that, of, of, to, to think a million plus people backs up against the sea, Egypt coming in chariots and horses. We see them, they're gonna kill us, we have no way, nowhere to go. And then God parts the sea and leads them through. I mean, cannot imagine. And three days later, after they saw this, oh, you know what, I have another one there. I did not change that, so we'll go back. Three days later, Exodus 15, 22 to 24. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, can you imagine? They've just seen the miracle of God, and they're, now it's like three days after that, and it's like, well, what are we going to drink? A few passages after that, it's like, well, we don't have meat. We, we and then it's sooner or later, it gets, I want to go back to Egypt. We wanna go back, we had good food there. We need to recognize when we read this kind of stuff in the Bible that that's us, that's our heart. We can see God move big in our life one day and then the next day be grumbling over something very minor, very insignificant. Some theologians have, have done some work on the Gospels, and a few of them, um, it's hard for me to actually find exactly where this came from. Tim Keller talks about it in Counterfeit Gods. Dick Keyes, who was part of La Abri ministry, talks about it. But theologians say there's four deep idols of the human heart. Deep idols, they call them source idols. And then there's surface idols, like the, your heart wants these things, but it manifests in in a certain way. And they would say that the four idols would be, that that these are from from studying the words of Jesus and the gospel and his stories, their comfort, approval, control, and power. Okay? So those four things they're saying are responsible for all of our bad choices, all of our grumbling, all of our not following God. To give you an example, they, they might say, okay, that some, some man may be overworking and, and not spending time with his family. Well, it, it could be that it's comfort, like that man wants to make enough money to, to live a comfortable life. It also could be power. So the overwork could have a root idol of power or it could have a root idol of comfort. The love of money could have a root idol of, of approval, comfort, control, power. These four things move us and they, they actually move us to make decisions and they shape our life. I would ask you this morning: do you know your heart? Do you know where your heart bends? Is it a fear of man, an approval? Do you need the affirmation of other people? Are you afraid when somebody doesn't affirm you? Is it power, influence? King Nebuchadnezzar, when he looked out at his kingdom in Babylon, he's like, this is all mine, all mine. He was prideful. Is it control? Do you feel like you need to control your circumstances? Or is it comfort? Is, is that, will, will you at all costs not do something or not um, be involved in something because you want comfort? Do you know your own heart? Do you know your own heart? The word content in Greek, it it carries with it this idea. When I I started looking at the Greek, I'm like, well, that doesn't even sound Christian. It's actually self-supporting, sufficient within yourself, independent, right? Doesn't that kind of sound like, well, that doesn't even sound Christian, but that's the actual meaning of the word, the Greek word that Paul is using, the word content. But as I started peeling that back and looking at it, I'm like, okay, this is really the idea that you're mastering your heart. You have control over your emotions. Your emotions are not controlling you. We all know people and maybe, maybe we, ourselves in circumstances and in instances where we just fly off the handle. Right? Your emotions control you. You get upset and you act on your anger. The idea behind contentment is having mastery over that. Not on your own will, not in your own strength, but through Christ. When, when Paul says, I can do all things things through Christ who strengthens me." This is what he's talking about. That verse actually is used a lot. It's a coffee cup verse. It's used to, in many different ways, but the context that Paul is using it for in Philippians is, I know how to be low and I know how to be high. I know how to have little, I know how to have much. I know the secret, I've learned it. I know how to be content and it's through Christ. I think it was John Calvin that said the human heart is an idol factory. We just pump out things, other things to worship other than the true God, the living God. The fourth point on contentment. We live in a, in a day and age that we literally at our fingertips have all, if not most of the information we can have in the world. I can connect with old friends. I can connect with new friends. I can connect with anyone through, through this. I can read just about anything I wanna read. I can watch on YouTube just about a, a video on, on just about anything that I want. If I'm into something, I can find someone else on the web that's into it too. We have more entertainment available to us than any generation in the history of the world. I have four young kids, and one of the things that concerns me most is that they're being discipled by the culture and being told that the purpose of life is to be entertained. This wave of information and fun and games and, and, and whatever the, the uh, social media platforms ha- happen to be, it's creating a discontent in people, an irritability. Why? Because we're not made simply to be entertained. You, me, me. We're made for more. One of the topics that we're going to dig into in Genesis is image bearers, that we're image bearers of God. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think that is a doctrine right now that just speaks to the depravity and the chaos of the world. But one of the things within the image of God, one of the, the teachings that, that flows from it, is you and me, we, humanity, we are makers, we are creators. God is a creator. We image him by producing, by making things, by creating things. Human beings are meant to take chaos and turn it into order, whether that's a garden whether that's cooking or baking and taking ingredients and making something, music, taking sounds and making a, a song, writing, taking words and creating truth out of those words, photography, taking pictures, telling a story, simply organizing your home, maybe fishing, hunting, making a meal out of, out of something that you, you caught. We are creators, we're makers, We image God by doing this. And not only do we do that in the physical, we do that in the spiritual. The Apostle Paul says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are part of a grand story. The story of all stories, the story that every good movie and book has to be rooted in at some part. The story of redemption, consummation, a a, a true happy ending, and God is using us. This, the Apostle Paul is saying, God is right now, he is recreating, he created the world and now he's recreating it through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, by changing hearts. And he's using you and he's using me and he's using us as a church to do it. And if we're sitting on the sidelines and just punting and saying, okay, that's for someone else, we're missing a big part of what he has for us. We are makers, we are producers. We are also exiles, we are pilgrims, we are travelers. This summer, my family went on vacation in Rhode Island. It's the second year that we we went there and um, we're, we're really kind of between a bay and the ocean, two minutes from each side. and It's beautiful. Um, but we camp because it's cheap. <laughs> For the price of one week, it's less than it would cost one night in a hotel. It's, it's beautiful. It's really amazing. And it, it was an amazing vacation. It's been for two years, an amazing vacation, but Amy and I were, were in a tent and we got, this year we got air mattresses and even the kids had air mattresses and to, to make it a little more comfortable. But we were kind of on a slope. I don't know if you, you know, you've slept in a tent. You're, you're not always getting a flat surface and being that close to the ocean i would imagine the reason why the air was just so humid so every morning you woke up and like everything's wet like everything's constantly wet you're always feeling wet and again sleeping on a slope but i i didn't care it didn't bother me i mean the ocean is 2 minutes that way we're cliff jumping we're we're just Spear fishing. we're doing all these amazing things. And it's like, this, this doesn't bother me, I'm traveling. But if I woke up in my bedroom at home and I was on a slope or it was that wet every morning at home, there would be a problem, right? Why? Because I, I'm home. When I'm traveling, I, I expect it. It's the traveler's fair. I'm traveling. This hotel, this tent, it's not gonna be home and I would just say that is how we have to view living in this world our hearts are going to constantly try, want to try to nestle in and just say okay I need to feel perfectly at home here but you will not if you know Jesus as Christ Lord, Savior King, this is not your home It will be one day in a restored earth, but right now you are a pilgrim in exile and a traveler. And that's a mindset that if we can slightly shift and get our arms around, we might not be perturbed at everything that jostles us in our everyday living and walk. The writer of Hebrews talks about he talks about um, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, and he says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. If we think this earth is our home, we're gonna constantly be let down, constantly feeling discontent. There's something deeper within you that's longing for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the recreation to be consummated. C.S. Lewis says it like this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You and I were made for another world. It doesn't mean that we don't bring goodness and the kingdom of God here on this world. We doesn't mean we don't enjoy it. But we have to have that frame of mind that we're exiles, that we're travelers. The world is filled with heartache. It's filled with beauty and it's filled with heartache. Just two days ago, we right in our community, we had a, a, a family that lost. Two kids, two young kids. And that happens like that, right? And that's jostling no matter what. And it doesn't even have to be that crazy. It's just living this life. We know that things, this is not our home. This is a, a place where we are experiencing sin, other people's sin, and all the chaos that comes along with that. And at the same time, the world is beautiful. There's a tension that the Bible just, it, 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 there, that tension is in God's word. It is beautiful, and God made human beings, and human beings are beautiful, and life is joyful, and life is fun, and we can enjoy it. But we are exiles, we are pilgrims. The last point, or the second to last point, accepting the sovereign hand of God. Jeremiah Burroughs says this about contentment. He says, our contentment does not consist of getting the things we desire, but in God fashioning our spirit to our condition. God fashions our spirit to our condition. Who knows what the 10th commandment is in the 10 commandments? Who wants to take a, a shot at that? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, covet. So, thou shall not covet your neighbor's goods, the 10th commandment. And, and I think we live in a time and place where that has kind of gone wild, like crazy. If you're on uh, social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, what you can tend to see, and, and I had this, this struggle in, in my life a couple of years ago from Instagram is just looking at, like so I was following pastors and teachers, and you know, you're gonna follow what's important to you and whatever that is, and, and then you start looking at it, and you're like, ah, that's better than what I got. That's better, oh, they're on vacation? That's a better vacation than what I just took. Um, Wow, that church looks amazing. They're doing things that we we can't even, there's no way we could do that. Oh, look at that city that they live in, that's amazing. Like, we don't have that here. Look at the weather that they have, that's great. And that can start causing in your own heart a covetousness and a discontentment about what God has actually given you. When we got back from Rhode Island, we, we did some spearfishing in Rhode Island. Anthony and I did a bit of spearfishing and it's, it's a really awesome thing. If you're a fisherman, spearfishing is like just amazing. You're in there, you got your snorkel on, you're seeing fish, you got a spear, you can shoot at fish, you're seeing really cool things underwater. And we kind of got like, after, after we went, we kind of got this, uh, this bug for it. Like, okay, let's, let's try to do this better even next year. We'll, we'll figure this out and we'll, we'll get some fish next year. So we went on YouTube. My son found a really cool YouTube channel and about a spear fisherman. This guy is in... Australia, and we started watching, and, I, and, it, and it just, like, well, that water is beautiful. Like, the water in Rhode Island wasn't like that. <laughs> look at those fish. They're actually colorful. Like, the fish in Rhode Island are just green that we're sh- shooting at. Like, look at this guy. The ocean's in his backyard. He's on a four-wheeler riding to the ocean. Like, man, life my vacation stunk, (laughs) right? And that's how quickly it can go down. You can go from being, this was a blessing and thank you, Jesus, thank you for what you gave me to, uh, right? We have to be careful to accept, to not look at what God has given us and say, I don't like what you gave me, God, I, I want that. I want their stuff. I want what I saw over here. We live in a consumer culture where where we're being told anything is possible. You can go, and and to an extent, yeah, we have that freedom. You can go anywhere. You can buy anything. You can live anywhere. But if we keep going down that road, really what we're saying to God is, "I, I don't trust you. I don't like what you've given me. I want what they have. And we have to remember that God has sovereignly placed us. Acts 17, 26, he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. So we, No one here determined when they were born, right? Allotted periods. He's determined that you live right now and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's determined that you were born wherever you were born. He's determined that you were raised in the family, that you were raised. He's determined that you have the gifts and the thinking and the desires that you have. God has sovereignly placed you. He's given you the friends and the family and the church and all of it, the, the town, the city where you live, is given by God. One thing that I desperately want for Vintage Faith Church is for us to be okay with who we are. Because it can be easy, and especially for me as a pastor, to say, well, we need to do this, this, and this, and I've seen this church do this, and this church do this, and and we're not doing everything that the church down the road is doing. And we can sooner or later start looking at ourselves as less than and not real until we become whatever we think we need to become. We need to settle into what God has given us, our life, our family, our friends, our church, our situation, our gifts. Dwayne Elmer says, In regards to this type of culture, he says, too quickly we we splinter churches, friendships, families, and groups rather than struggle for ways to bridge differences, reconnect, forgive, reconcile, and heal. Individualism fosters an impatience with people and institutions. We can always join another church, find new friends, or get another job. And I would just say to you, if that's you and you're thinking that and you're struggling with that, just try to press into to God's sovereignty. He has given you what you have, trust that, enjoy that. Instead of looking at the people around you as like, okay, well, one day I'll get these Instagram friends that I see these other people having, and their life looks awesome, and you guys aren't quite measuring up. It's not as shiny, and, and we're not in a, in, in a great place like they are. And, and no, God has given us what we have. The last point, and I think the the strongest, the, the bullet in the heart of discontentment. Preach the gospel to yourself. What do I mean by that? A lot of What we think when we're discontent is we think, I don't have this and I deserve this. I don't have this and I'm entitled to this. I should have this. But when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're telling ourselves a completely different story. We're saying, here's what we deserve. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, I deserve nothing but his wrath and hell because of my sin and because of my disobedience. I've committed treason with the highest king possible. The fact that I even breathe right now and have my sanity is a miracle. I deserve nothing. I am entitled to nothing. What I actually deserve is far worse than what I have or could ever imagine. That's the first point of the gospel. And I would just say that right now, there's a huge movement within Christianity to take that message and to say, that's too strong. Don't, that, why? Why are you talking about sin? Why are you talking about hell? Why are you talking about God's wrath? Don't talk about it. Talk about how good I am. Talk about, pat me on the back and tell me I'm fine. There's a certain saying that you'll hear. You've probably come across it. You may have even said it, but it's, I am enough. I am enough. No, you're not. I'm not. Jesus is enough. Only Jesus is enough. And if you're saying, I am enough, you're actually saying, I don't need Jesus. Jesus. You're broken, I'm broken, we're sinners, we're in desperate need of a savior and that's why we come here on Sunday to praise him and thank him and worship him as the king of kings. We're no longer enemies because of the cross. We're no longer under God's wrath because of the cross. We're sons and daughters of the king. No matter what our situation, no matter how bad it gets, We are sons and daughters of the King of kings. If God is for us, who can be against us? This glory of the gospel truth is cut short if we take that first point and bury it. If you bury, I'm a sinner and I'm under the wrath of God, you can't worship Jesus. You're not worshiping Jesus. If you take that truth out of the mix, you can't. You're not worshiping the true Jesus. So preach the gospel to yourself. This is a huge bullet in the heart of discontentment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, uh, we do all confess that our hearts tend to lean towards grumbling and our hearts tend to lean towards complaining. I confess that in my own life, Lord, I complain, I grumble. Lord, help us to be a people who accept what you have given us the life that you have given us. Lord, help us to be a people who who know our own hearts, who don't get thrown around by every whim of emotion that we have, but can see when, when anger or frustration arises in our hearts, we can see it for what it is, try to identify why, and not act on it? Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. We need you. Like the Apostle Paul said, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. We need your strength. This is not something we can do on our own. God, help us to be a gospel people. Let us never forget the gospel, even the hard truths of the gospel. Lord, help us to worship Lord, as we get ready to sing that we we need you, we we need you, we confess we are not enough, we need you. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.